You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. I would invite you to stand as you're able for our gospel reading this morning. It comes to us from Luke's gospel in the fifth chapter. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that not all fishing stories are alike. <laughs> Take the time Richard and I went fly fishing on the Colorado River. It seemed like it was a really good idea an experienced guide talking about breathtaking scenery, promising shady trees, Indian ruins, and a nice picnic lunch. So at 7 a.m., on the heels of a two-hour drive from the north rim of the Grand Canyon, we climbed into a boat and began to make our way down the river. It was pretty cold at first, but soon the sun had come up over the canyon walls and the temperature began to climb. Richard and the guide anchored the boat, put on waders, and edged out into the river while I settled in to read a book. I noticed the boat had no cover on it, but the sun felt pretty good after that cold beginning, so I made myself comfortable while the fishermen slowly made their way out of earshot. I couldn't tell you when I exactly began to notice the heat. Could have been the sweat that trickled onto my glasses. 
Could have been the fact that the glue on the spine of my book had begun to melt, and I was losing those pages faster than I could read them. I looked around for those trees that the guide had talked about, but the only shrubs I saw were about four feet high and looked like they would be a great haven for a rattlesnake. And when I thought about getting the boat out of the boat, I learned that the water was intolerably cold, which was a really good thing. Because you see, our guide hadn't mentioned the 16-knot current that would have swept me away if I'd decided to jump in and cool off. So I took off my hat, I took off the hiking shirt that covered my tank top, I soaked them in the ice cold water, I wrung them out, I put them back on, and I repeated that process just about every 10 minutes as the morning dragged on. My book was in shambles. All the suntan lotion in Arizona wasn't gonna be enough to keep my skin from turning red. It was way past my lunchtime. The fishermen, were oblivious. When lunchtime came, the guide opened up a cooler with some bologna sandwiches, no mayonnaise, a couple of apples, and a soft drink. Then we left the boat, hiking through what I'm sure was snake-infested underbrush, <laughs> to see a few Indian ruins and visit a comfort station that was just about as hot as I imagined the solitary confinement cell in Cool Hand Luke. I whispered to Richard that I was ready to go. And I thought that we had agreed to call it quits in about an hour. But you can guess the rest. The fish were biting. By the time we got back to the car, after tipping our guide for an experience that I would hope never to repeat again, <laughs> Richard's attempt to tell me that I had been a good sport was met with an evil look and a very pointed suggestion that he might not want to talk to me for a while. <laughs> now, I don't know if Simon's frustration at having fished all night and caught nothing was anything like mine, but I do know that it seemed like an act of divine retribution when the waitress at our dinner, a young Navajo woman, dumped an entire pitcher of iced tea into Richard's lap. <laughs> she apologized profusely, but I just assured her that it was okay. He had been wet all day, so why should the evening be a bit different? And then I quietly told Richard that God was clearly alive and well and working on my behalf. <laughs> I'm wondering if you can imagine the scene at the lake shore that day, a soft breeze, waves lapping against a shoreline, the smell of fish in the air, and poor frustrated Simon cleaning his nets and bemoaning his wasted efforts. And then Jesus walked into his life forever. It was such a simple request. Take me out on the water so I can teach and not be crushed by the crowd. And Simon, curious and eager for a front row seat, obliged. But when Jesus told Simon to pull out into the deep water and to let down the nets, Simon must have doubted Jesus' sanity. He was a rabbi, not a fisherman. 
And yet the catch was so big that the nets were breaking and the boat had started to sink. Simon falls on his knees. He cries out in desperation, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And just then Jesus speaks some words that lift Simon up from that puddle of fish and bring him back to his feet. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. Then Simon and James and John just leave everything right there on the shore, and they head off to follow Jesus. How do we make sense of a story like this? Is it a fishing story like the one that I told? Or maybe a miracle story, unexpected fish. Maybe it's a testimony to the power of Jesus. Or is it just a call story about an ordinary man who set out to do one tiny little thing for Jesus and finds himself walking right out of one life and right into another a life-changing moment, a story about a life-changing moment. I remember one of my life-changing moments, not the one that took place on the Colorado River, but at a United Methodist Urban Workers Convocation in Birmingham, Alabama. I was the pastor at a downtown congregation at the time, and most of the time, and certainly by any kind of measures, I felt I was fishing just about all night and catching nothing. I needed this convocation just to keep me afloat. The planners were expecting 200 participants Registration finally had to be closed at 600, and 640 showed up to participate. I was judging by that that I was not the only one with an overloaded circuit. Called out of the crowd, away from home turf, all of us, lay and clergy, conference staff, urban workers, had an interlude with Jesus. There was a Bible study taught by Bishop Rader, lectures, music, and a memorable sermon that was delivered by Bishop Felton May. By the time it ended, we were all figuratively speaking on our knees and making our confessions. There was singing, there were tears. We heard God's voice, received a commission, and left a whole lot of baggage that we had come in with in a hotel ballroom. We were going to go fish for people. It was the kind of experience that I wish I could share with each of you. But what I can share are some of Bishop May's words that day. We've got to stop living this way, he said, and we've got to do it for the children. 
And then he just told stories for about an hour. Stories about children who would never make it to adulthood because of drugs or guns or abuse. Stories about children dying of hunger, neglect, lack of access to medical treatment. Stories about children who were never going to learn to read or write. They had no books at home. Their schools were too dangerous, too understaffed, and sometimes too out of control to be places of learning. And then he told a story about a church that was too busy with its busyness to fish for people. The church has to do it, he said. It is our time, and there is no one else. When Jesus called Simon that day to go in the deep water, he had an experience that changed his heart. But Jesus didn't leave Simon out there on the lake. Bishop May's preaching changed my heart that day, but I didn't move to Birmingham hoping to hear it repeated. And none of us, none of you, are going to sit here in these pews until next Sunday. It's the crowd and not the fish that are our true vocation. But when we go back to those everyday lives that we lead, it won't be enough just to pass along Jesus' teachings. A good scribe, a good secretary, even a good computer can do that. No, Jesus wants us to be living witnesses to the saving power of God. Does it seem a little bit odd to you that a net full of fish results in a confession of sin? After all, Simon was just a hardworking fisherman, going about his business with a reasonable amount of ambition and a lot of long-suffering patience. There was no reason in the story to think that he'd done anything particularly awful. But on the deck of the boat, when he got to the deep water, Jesus forces Simon to confront his own self-centeredness, to look twice at mediocre expectations. Simon feels that power of God surrounding him, and he knows, he knows that he's not able to trust the way God trusts, to choose as God chooses, or to love the way God loves. And so he cries out for forgiveness, and he finds himself lifted up from the fish and pointed in a new direction. God was busy working on Simon's behalf. Well, before we close, there's one word of caution in this story. Catching people can be a dangerous image. We ought not take it too literally. We might be tempted to treat people like fish, a source of income perhaps, 
something that keeps the lights on and the roof open, something that's good for helping us meet some objective and measurable goals, but not particularly valuable in and of themselves. And that's not at all like Jesus, whose habit was to love people precisely for who they already are. In scripture, that word catch means to take alive in the sense of rescuing from death. And God knows that there are people dying out there. and They're not dying from a lack of right theology. They're dying from a lack of bread and shelter and safety and hope and a lot of love. God calls the church to fish for people, rescue them alive. So what if the catch is too large, we say? What if it tears up our nets? What if it sinks our boats? We're going to be in over our heads if we're not careful. We might all drown. How can we focus on somebody else when we're struggling ourselves or afraid ourselves? But the answer is in the story. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. Or you could go with me back to Birmingham and you could listen to Bishop May. It is our time. God is calling us. Eastside Church, God is calling us. And we have to do it because there are children out there. And in the words of a little girl named Kayla, who had spent an evening with her mother at a capital punishment vigil, in the words of that little girl, Kayla, she said, God wants us to hurry before anybody else gets hurt. Amen. Good morning. My name is Katie, and this morning I will be leading our community in a time of collective prayer and confession. This time joins our hearts and minds together with God and our community. Whether you are with us virtually or in person, whether you're visiting for the first time or have been part of Eastside for many years, I'm thankful that you are here worshiping collectively with us. When I say, Lord, in your mercy, I invite you to respond with here our prayer. God, our creator, our protector, our center. We come to you this morning as we do each week with so many emotions. God, remind us that at the same time you hear each of our prayers, as well as the prayers of those around the world. God, help us to be a light to the world, to stand up against bigotry and hate, to show our family, friends, neighbors, and our community that we are different. Help us continue to make Eastside really and truly a space for each and every one of us to experience grace, forgiveness, acceptance, love, and true community. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, as our world is ravaged by revenge, war, hate, and greed, we sit here today not knowing what to do or how to help. As geopolitical war mixes with religion and centuries of trauma on the other side of the world, we grieve. I grieve for the people of Gaza and of Israel. 
I grieve for our Jewish and Muslim neighbors and friends here in the States and around the world who must watch as their religions are used as reasons, excuses, and fodder for war, for genocide, for destruction. God, I pray for our leaders throughout the world. Let compassion and peace drive decision-making rather than power, fear, and hate. Help us to show mercy, grace, and compassion to all the world, and especially now to our Abrahamic siblings. Lord, in your infinite mercy, hear our prayer. I pray that there will be more days where the news is not devastating. God, I pray that today and every day we can be a light in this dark world, that we would be a beacon of peace in the storm. And then, Abba, we look past guns to the unmet mental health needs, senseless rage against anyone who is different, and the culture of violence that we live in. We pray that the community of Eastside will continue to speak up in the face of injustice. We, as an Eastside community, lament the racism, white supremacy, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, brutality, violence, and othering that occurs in our country and our world. Merciful parent, help us be for one another the community that we ourselves seek. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray that those in our community who are fearful, not knowing where they will access medical care, shelter, and food, I pray that Eastside would continue to be a resource, both spiritually and physically, for those who need our support. I pray that we would give freely of our resources and ourselves to move as Christ's hands and feet in our world. We pray for our little free pantry and closet, which we fill and find emptied so many times each week. We pray for all those who use these resources and that our congregation will be able to provide continued access to food and warm clothing in our community in this way. For our neighbors who seek refuge on our church steps, for those who don't know where is safe, God, we pray that they continue to feel respite, love, compassion, and welcome here at Eastside. Equip us as a congregation with the skills to interact with and to love people who are different from ourselves, who may be of a different race, a different socioeconomic status, a different housing experience, who may have different priorities. God, help us to remember that each person in and around this building is a beloved child of God and is our neighbor, our community member, our sibling. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for Eastside's local ministry partners, that our gifts, time, talents, and resources would provide blessings for these valuable organizations. For Wellroot, East Atlanta Kids Club, Brandon Towers, and In Town Cares. We pray for our national ministry partner, Reconciling Ministries Network, as they continue to sift through narratives and counter-narratives about the future of the United Methodist Church and our queer siblings in Christ. We pray for our international partner community, Ticolette, on the island of Laganov, Haiti. Even while we've been unable to visit for many years, we know that our prayers and our gifts are resources and are creating good work in that community. Lord, in your mercy. Now, God, we come to you again in confession this morning as we have so many times before. Lord, we come to you empty-handed and in need of your grace. We pray that you would hear us now as we silently acknowledge before you all the ways in which we have fallen short. God of reconciliation, 
We thank you that no matter the state of our world or the state of our hearts, nothing can separate us from your love. God, we thank you that in acknowledging our own shortcomings, we find grace that reorients us and offers us hope. Help us live into that hope this day and every day. God, may our words of confession be accompanied by acts of reconciliation. Siblings in Christ, hear the good news. Christ died for us as we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God and amen. You know, sometimes it can feel like the world is overwhelming. Sometimes it feels like there's so much to do that it's hard to know what is the one thing and right thing for you to do. So that's your homework for this week. Don't try to do everything. Plan to do something as you follow Jesus. And now grace, mercy, and peace from God who has created us, God who has redeemed us, and God who sustains us this day and through the week to come. Go in peace. that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.